Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Well, good morning and happy St. Patrick's Day to y'all. I am uh, wearing my green, so I don't know. Uh, when I was young, uh, we would pinch people if they weren't wearing green. I don't know if that's still a thing. It's 2019, probably not a lot, but um, that was the thing when I was young. In fact, uh, the most memorable St. Patrick's Day for me, besides the one that's currently happening, um, it was, I remember in grade 10, this is a long time ago, but there was this girl and she wasn't wearing green, and so it was kind of my civic duty to go and pinch her. So I walked up to her and I pinched her. I don't think I pinched her that hard. I mean, I was in grade 10, so I might have, but uh, I don't think I pinched her very hard, and this girl wound up and just slapped me across the face. And I learned a really valuable lesson, well, probably a few lessons, but one is that St. Patrick's Day is the stupidest holiday ever invented. So, uh, yeah, that's my St. Patrick's Day memory. I want to do things uh, just a little bit differently this morning. Nothing crazy, so don't freak out, but uh, do a couple things a little differently. Um, this morning, really, uh, what I, one of them's at the end, but throughout the message, what I really want to do this morning is just... Uh, share a story with you guys. I just want to tell you a story, so I'd invite you. There are no, like, lead notes in the bulletin or the app or whatever. Uh, Just chill and enjoy the story, and I hope that we'll land somewhere meaningful about who Jesus is at the end of this story together. Um, Before I tell you that story, I'd love to invite you to just pray with me. God, thank you so much that you love us and that you are the great I Am, and that we get to be here in your presence I know you and hear from you. I pray that you would just speak to our hearts this morning and continue to draw us closer to your love. We're so thankful for who you are. Amen. So the story I want to tell you this morning, it's about two different characters. There's a man and there's a woman. And um, these characters come from very different situations. They're very different people. And in fact, they don't even know each other. Uh, Later on in the story, their paths are going to cross. Right now, they don't even know each other. They are uh, two very separate people. For this woman, life's been a life's dealt her a rough hand of cards. She she's been on this crazy journey. It's been difficult. It's been challenging. We all go through different difficult things. Uh, but it would be hard, I'm assuming, for most of us to imagine what it would be like to be on this journey that this woman's on. And although the burden is mostly hers to bear, I. Uh, you know, I'd be remiss to not mention uh, how it would impact the rest of her family as well. I think about her husband. I mean, certainly when her husband stood at the altar and said, you know, in sickness and in health, he didn't have this in mind. Certainly he did not realize how big and intense and powerful those words would ring through in his life years later. He and his wife probably would have hoped to have kids, and realizing now, well, that dream's kind of gone. And now, having gone through this journey, probably in some ways maybe grateful that they didn't because they don't know what it would be like to try to raise kids in this context, in this kind of affliction and agony and pain that this woman is experiencing. 
And even for her whole family, not just her and her husband. I mean, her whole family's in on this journey too, mostly her, but they, they'd, they'd all be a part of this. They'd all be going through this with her as any good family would. Uh, you know, they've, they've drained their bank accounts, pouring money, traveling, flying across the country, visiting different specialists who offered hope and remedies and solutions, but all of them just resulted in an expense of time and money that led to no real answers. They visited those crazy holistic practitioners in the backwoods with all these different solutions, and although they've often worked for others, they also led to no results for them. They felt, if anything, cheated and ripped off by the opinions and advice that they've gotten from people about how to deal with the affliction, the pain, what this woman is going through. For this lady, she's at the end of her rope. She's desperate, she's broken, she's in pain. It's been a tough journey. This man that I was talking about, the other character in the story, it's a really different situation for him. For him, life is good. He couldn't imagine it better. He's got a good job, a good reputation in the community. He gets to help people on, the, on like the daily basis. He, he, he has a family. Things are good. He's probably doing well financially. He's got a comfortable life. It'd be easy for him to sit around and say, what could possibly go wrong? But today... Unfortunately for him, in a way that he could never imagine, that question of what could possibly go wrong is about to be answered. For all of us, we're mortal human beings. We know that we are living now and that one day we'll die. We know that cognitively, but we don't really know that or believe that. We live and act as though we're immortal and we'll live forever. And what I mean is kind of like this. You know that when you open the microwave and pull your pizza pop out, you know that it will burn you if you bite into it, but your actions show that you don't know that at all, right? So you bite in and you burn your mouth. Well, for all of us, we, we, we know that we're mortal, but we live and act as though we believe that we're immortal. For this man, for sure, and especially when it comes to our kids, what, what, what would we imagine could ever possibly happen to our kids? I mean, they'll be good. Well, this man, he woke up this morning, and he grabbed a bowl of corn pops, and he thought, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat my breakfast. I'm going to do some devos, pray a bit, kiss my family goodbye, head off to work, have an awesome day at work, come back, and it's going to be all good. But not this morning. This morning, he wakes up, and he finds out that his daughter's sick. His 12-year-old baby girl is sick, and not the type of sickness, like not like pink eye or strep throat that like when I was 12, I wish, I, like I would hope to have so that I could miss some days of school, not that kind of sickness, but she's sick. The doctor's like, we actually have no idea what's wrong with her. We don't know. There's nothing we can do. All we know is that it's terminal and that she has maybe a day or a couple days to live at most. Man, this guy's world comes crashing down around him. He was supposed to go and have this good day of work. And like the first woman, he's desperate, he's broken. His world is falling around, down around him, and he realizes that immortality, or certain mortality, is a very real thing. This man actually has a name. His name is Jairus, and his story shows up in Mark 5, 21 to 43. And who Jairus is, is he's, uh, his, he's a man that interacts with Jesus in this narrative, and he has his daughter who's sick beyond what the doctors can deal with, and she's going to die. He's very desperate. And he's heard about this man, this incredible, powerful, miraculous man named Jesus, who's been touring the countryside, going all around. Everyone's talking about him. He's famous beyond description. And he's famous because of the things he's doing. 
Jairus has heard that this guy has like healed sick people just by laying his hands on them. That he's driven demons out of people. That he actually, there was a boy who was dead and Jesus went and raised him back to life. Jairus heard just the other day, Jesus was in a boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and there was a storm that might've killed them and Jesus is snoozing in the boat and he wakes up and talks to the storm and says, storm, chill out and the storm just dies. This is this guy that Jairus has heard about. But Jairus is in a bit of a conflicting spot because what I need to let you know about Jairus is what his job is. Jairus was what's called a synagogue leader or a synagogue ruler. And what a synagogue is, is in uh, a couple thousand years ago, when the text is written in the story of Jesus, it was basically like a Jewish church. It's where Jews came together to worship and stuff like that. And so a synagogue ruler or a synagogue leader is kind of like a pastor of one of those. Synagogue ruler, kind of a more epic name than pastor. So I've kind of been thinking about maybe at the AGM suggesting uh, church ruler would be a new title that we should use for me. But um, Anyways, we'll get to that at the AGM. Uh, but here's Jairus. He's this ruler, this leader of this religion called Judaism. And he's heard about this Jesus guy. He's heard about the incredible things that Jesus is doing. But he's also heard from the people that he works with and the people that, attends, that attend his synagogue that a lot of Jesus' teachings are really controversial. Jesus is saying some pretty edgy stuff that's cutting to the heart of what these guys are teaching at their synagogues, at their churches. And so he's heard a lot of negative stuff about this Jesus guy. And, and so he doesn't know what to do. Certainly in his position, he should have nothing to do with Jesus. He should not be a fan of Jesus. He should stay away from Jesus. But remember, his 12-year-old girl is on the brink of death. He's desperate. He'll do whatever it takes. I, I mean, I can't imagine. I don't know if you guys have heard, but I've had a baby in the past year and a half. And uh, I, I can't imagine my little baby girl knowing that she was going to die and there was nothing I can do. And then hearing, hey, there's this one thing that just might work. I, I'd do it. So Jairus decides, forget what the people are going to think about me. Forget about what my colleagues say. And he goes and he finds Jesus. And remember, Jairus is desperate. He's broken. So he doesn't just saunter up to Jesus and be like, hey, bro, you know, my daughter's not doing well. Could you maybe like say a prayer for her? This, this is what happens. I'm going to turn to the text in Mark 5, uh, 22. It says that Jairus came and he fell at his, Jesus's feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jairus finds Jesus, and he comes up to him, and he falls to the ground at Jesus' feet, face in the dirt, and just begs, with Jesus, begs Jesus. He says, he exalts Jesus. What, what he's doing here is he's saying, Jesus, I, I believe that you are the Lord who has power and authority even over sickness and death. This is a pretty interesting picture, and I want to paint a little bit of context around this part of the story. So Jairus is a leader in the Jewish religion. And he comes, and he falls down at Jesus' feet. He humbles himself at Jesus' feet. And he exalts, lifts up Jesus' name as one with power and authority. This is pretty fascinating because we know afterwards, we know the rest of the story, that shortly after, Jairus' colleagues, his co-workers, the other Jewish leaders, are also going to lift up and exalt Jesus, but in a very different way. They're going to nail him to a cross and lift him up in a brutal scene of crucifixion and kill him as one of their enemies. It's a very different picture. 
And if we zoom out even further, we know that years later, Paul's going to write some letters about Jesus and theology and what it means to worship Jesus. And we know that in Philippians 2, Paul's going to say that God exalted Jesus and gave him the name that is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. So here's Jairus, a Jewish leader, shortly after his colleagues, his co-workers, his crew, his friends, they're going to lift Jesus up to kill him. And Jairus is face in the dirt, humbled in front of Jesus, exalting his name and acknowledging that he is Lord, that he is... Dem- what a powerful scene. I mean, this is this is the type of stuff that's like, hey, Jairus, kiss your job. Goodbye, man. But he's desperate. And he pleads with Jesus. He's broken. He says, Jesus, please come keep my daughter from dying. And Jesus says, I'd love to. Let's go to your house. So they take off and they're walking. The story continues. They're walking to go to Jairus' house. They're on this journey together. They're traveling together. And it says that the crowd was pressing up around Jesus. Like on every side, people are just swarming him. And when I read the Gospels, when I read the story of Jesus, I really hope that Jesus isn't one of those people that's like claustrophobic and has like real like personal bubble, personal space issues. Because if so, like he got the wrong job, you know? Like this is a real bummer for this guy. Like people will drill a hole in your ceiling and come and like, you know, kind of descend just to be even closer to him. So they're walking through this crazy sea of people, pressing up around him on every side, making their way through. And uh, all of a sudden, Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Who just touched me? His disciples look at him like he's insane. They say, who just touched you? Everyone just touched you. You know, you're walking through a giant mosh pit, you know? Like, I mean, we're all, like, everyone's currently touching you right now, Jesus. But there's something more going on. Remember the lady I was talking about earlier? A lot of you know this story, but this lady, she's actually the one that reached out and touched Jesus's cloak, his garment. She grabbed like the, the, his pant leg or something like that in the middle of this crowd. See, her situation, I was talking earlier about how she has this affliction. Well, her affliction is that she's been bleeding for 12 years nonstop. A lot of scholars and historians would say that what happened is this lady got her period and it just never stopped. So she's been having her period for 12 years. 12 year, yeah, you can, at this moment, you can gasp and just 12 years. As a man, I can't imagine once a month for a few days. 12 years, crazy. So this lady doesn't have a name in the text, so I usually just affectionately call her period lady. Uh, it's not very f- flattering, but for the rest of the service, you'll know who I'm talking about. So period lady is the one that's reached out and she's touched Jesus. She's been having her period for 12 years. 12 years. If you do the math on that, that's 380 million seconds. And this is what it says. In Mark 5, 28, it says, she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. If I just reach out and grab the sleeve of his jacket, if I just touch his shoe, whatever, I'll be healed. The crazy thing is, She's healed in one second. A 380 million second affliction, 12 years of this sickness, and in one second, she's healed. It's amazing. So Jesus starts saying, who touched me? His disciples think he's crazy. He's like, no, 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 no. I felt power go out of me. I want to know who touched me. What you have to understand is in a Jewish context, a couple thousand years ago, a woman would have no right to walk up and just touch a man. That's not okay. 
You can get in serious trouble for that. For her to walk up and touch a man, not okay. If That's even if she wasn't having her period for 12 years. Another thing you have to understand about their context is if you're having your period, you're what they call unclean. You are unclean. For 12 years, this lady has lived her life with this label of unclean. Everywhere she goes, people say, you're unclean. Don't touch me. Don't come near me. Keep your distance. So this lady who's been labeled, what, what brutal, I think, well, maybe not, maybe not you. A lot of us have been there where our culture or maybe sometimes ourselves, we, we ascribe these labels, unclean, not good enough, ugly. And when we live with those labels, right? And 12 years unclean, I can't even imagine. It's brutal. So she's unclean. She's a woman. She reaches out and touches Jesus. And Jesus starts to say, who touched me? So this is a pretty scary time for this lady. She's probably pretty happy that she's healed, but pretty scary. But she, she, she gets over her fear and she comes and it says that she falls at the feet of Jesus. She humbles herself before him. She falls down as unworthy, as unclean, and looks at him and, and says, it was me. I touched you. You healed me. And, and the cool thing is Jesus could be mad. He could be angry. He could rip into her. And he reaches out with love and compassion and lifts her up. And this is what's cool. Here's this picture of this woman who just has nothing going for her. Like she's, spoiler alert, she's us in this story. She's got nothing going for her. She's unclean. She's desperate. She's broken. She humbles herself and falls down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus lifts her up in her humility. What's cool about this picture for me is here's where my imagination goes. I imagine period lady a few years from now. She's hanging out at church on a Sunday morning. She's sitting there, and the pastor gets up, and the pastor says, hey, today, good news. We've got, we've got a really, like, a famous guest speaker coming in, and uh, we're pretty excited, but, you know, either Peter or James or someone like that, they've been traveling the countryside with their message, or they've been writing, and they've been preaching, and they're here today to preach to us. And in their message at one point, Peter James gets up and says, uh, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And I imagine this lady sitting there. This is my picture. This isn't in the text. She stands up holding her child that she now has in one arm because she's been healed and just saying, amen. That happened to me. This is so true, guys. I humbled myself before the great I am as he walked in front of me. I reached out and touched him and I humbled myself before him and in mercy and compassion, he lifted me up. That was a powerful image to me. But I want to pause there because this isn't really the plot, right? This is just a subplot. We've been kind of uh, sidetracked from the real plot. The real plot is this guy named Jairus who's been traveling with Jesus. I want you to imagine what Jairus must be going through right now. His daughter is sick at home, and he wants Jesus to come heal his daughter. And here Jesus has just stopped and healed period lady right in front of him. He must be really excited. Like, if I'm Jairus, I'm thinking, he just healed this lady of her 12-year-old affliction. Certainly, he can come and heal my 12-year-old of her affliction. This is good news. Like, Jairus wants to be like, Jesus healed this girl on accident. Imagine if he tried, you know? So I'm Jairus, and I'm just excited. I'm beside myself. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, this is a done deal. Like, for sure, you know, home run here. But then all of a sudden, some people from Jairus' house show up, and they come up to him and say, Jairus, we've got bad news, man. Your daughter, she didn't make it. She already passed away, 
And we want to let you know so you don't waste any more of Jesus' time. He's, he's popular. He's famous right now. Let him go. Just heal some other people. Stop bothering the teacher. Now, at this point, Jairus goes from excited to angry. Like, oh, this stupid crowd. Why did they slow us down so much if we would have only made better time? Or what's period lady's problem? Like, yeah, she's bleeding, but my daughter just died. Why did we have to stop? Why, why couldn't Jesus come back for her? Why couldn't we have been running? Why couldn't we have made better time? Maybe we should have rented that two-horsepower chariot and, you know, made better time. How frustrating would that be? that you know you're with the solution and just because you got slowed down and because God didn't work on your timetable, didn't move fast enough for you, didn't answer your problem in the way you hoped he would, it's easy to get angry in that situation. And Jesus knows what Jairus is thinking. He knows what he's going through. And I love these words. He says to Jairus, he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Jairus, don't choose fear right now. This isn't a time to be afraid. You are with the great I am. Jairus, you know, the you know that I just recently calmed a storm. You know that I was sleeping in the boat and I got up and I told the disciples, don't be afraid of the storm. He says, Jairus, you don't need to be afraid of the storm either. Just believe. And he says, we're going to your house. So him and Jairus, and then at this point, Jesus kind of breaks off. He just takes Peter, James, and John, the three amigos. And this is, for me, the part of the story where it gets exciting. Because when Jesus just takes Peter, James, and John somewhere, really cool things happen. So he gets Peter, James, and John, and Jairus, and they start going. And they keep traveling, and they're on their way to Jairus' house. About a mile away from Jairus' house, they no longer need Apple Maps for navigation. They can put their GPS away because they can now just follow the shrill, the shrill sound of weeping and crying coming from Jairus' house. This is a house where a 12-year-old girl has just died. You can hear the misery and the agony for blocks around. And every step they take closer is just slightly louder, slightly louder, the crying out, the agony, the pain, and the brokenness of this house. And they show up at this house eventually, and this is what Jesus leads with. He shows up and he says, why are you guys weeping? Why are you wailing? Why are you crying? Jesus is the best, but he's also kind of the worst. You know, say that nicely. This is the guy, remember he told the guy like, hey, let the dead go bury their own dead. Shows up at a house where, like, imagine your 12-year-old daughter just died, and Jesus is like, oh, why are you crying? What's wrong? And then he kind of fixes that by saying, oh, don't worry, guys, she's actually just sleeping. The people in the house are like, this guy's an idiot. Are you sure you got the right Jesus? You think we didn't check her pulse? I go, maybe she's just taking a snooze. This guy's crazy. So they start mocking Jesus. They start making fun of him to his face. So Jesus says, clear the house, get everyone out of here. And he takes the parents, he goes into the room, and this beautiful scene where he walks up to this, to what we perceive to be Jairus' daughter, but who's actually Jesus' daughter. His daughter who he's created in his own image, who he loves with so much affection beyond what we could ever offer to someone, beyond how Jairus could ever love his own daughter, walks up, takes her hand, and says, little girl, get up. And she gets up, and she's well. And it says everyone in the house was amazed. Makes sense. I'd be pretty amazed. This story, Mark doesn't just put it in chapter 5 here. Well, he didn't actually put it in chapter 5 because there were no chapters. He didn't just put it in his narrative here because oh, this is a cool story. Time and time again, Mark is showing us something about who Jesus is. 
He is, like we sang earlier, the great I am, the creator of all, and he has power and authority and dominion over all of it. Just as Jairus fell at his knees and proclaimed his lordship, knowing that he could heal his daughter, Jesus is the sovereign Lord and ruler of all. He has power and authority over all of it. But that's not all. He also has compassion and kindness as he interacts with that which he's created. Jairus and period lady are both characters who are, are broken. They're suffering and they're going through different things. For both of them, it's a physical thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's an affliction, it's a sickness, and they need healing. But, but they're us in this story, you know? How many of us are Jairus or period lady sitting here saying, there's stuff broken in my life. I'm at the end of my rope. Stuff isn't working. Maybe you're not at a point of complete desperation, but, but what are the areas of your life? And maybe it's something physical like this. Maybe it's mental. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you have and you're struggling with that and you continue to be plagued with sins and temptation that you just wish Jesus would show up in and help you out. The story doesn't teach that if we take it to Jesus, he just heals and fixes all of it. And to be honest, I don't know why he does heal some people and doesn't immediately heal other people. To me, what this story teaches is that we've got an amazing God who walks amongst us, who interacts with us, and when we humble ourselves before him, he will lift us up. In our brokenness, if we come to him and say, hey God, I need a touch, I need you to show up in my life, I, I, I need you. I'm desperate without you, and that's all of us. He'll say, yeah, I care about you. Like I said earlier, Philippians 2 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This isn't just an optional activity that Paul writes about. This isn't something that he's like, hey, here's a cool idea. This is a promise. For all of us, this happens either in eternity or we have the option now to exercise that by our own volition. And it's an amazing invitation. To, to be able to come before Jesus with our lives, wherever you're at spiritually, whether you're following Jesus or not, and humble ourselves before him, fall at his feet, face to the ground, and say, Jesus, I'm broken. Lift me up. I think about so many things in my life, so many ways in my life where I'm like these characters, where things, they just don't make sense on my own. On my own power, I can't do it. I can't hack it. I'm broken, and I need Jesus. And he's pretty amazing. At FBC, we talk about a lot of things on Sunday mornings, and our hope is that when you leave, you go home, and uh, the, what we talk about from Scripture and Jesus' teachings uh, matter throughout the week, that maybe they impact something or change something. We hope that they do, that when you go home, you think about Jesus' teachings, and they continue to impact how you live life. But sometimes we like to create a space where at the end of a service, we can actually put some of this into practice and say, hey, you know what? Here's what we've been talking about Let's do that right here and right now. One thing I love about FBC is that we're a family, a community of people who, even though we all have our own areas of brokenness or struggle or sin or whatever we're, our issues are, that we can come together as a community and just be real about that and bring that before Jesus. Um, I'm going to call my um, volunteers forward. What we're going to do is these guys, I've got some awesome people that have agreed this morning to just be up here to be available to pray for you guys. There's no pressure to come up and get prayed for, um, but uh, this is an awesome space and an awesome time to put what we've just talked about into practice, to come forward and say, Jesus, I need you. 
Meet me in the midst of whatever I'm going through, whether it's something big or something small, something normal, something crazy. And just come and say, Jesus, touch my life today. Um, maybe for you, you're like, what? We've never, I've been at FBC for a while, we haven't done something like this, which is interesting because I grew up in a church and we called them altar calls. If we didn't do one at the end of a service, did we really do church, you know? But um, maybe this is a little different. Maybe you feel weird about coming to the front of the church. I would assure you that you probably don't feel any weirder than this lady going and reaching Jesus's jacket as he walked through the crowd. I'd encourage you this morning, if it's fear or pride that holds you back from coming, back, coming up, and taking us up on this amazing opportunity to get some free prayer for whatever you're going through in life. Uh, don't, don't miss out on that. Like I said, no pressure to come, but don't miss out on that. The band's going to sing two songs, and you can stay there and just sing along, but man, I'd encourage you to get in on this opportunity, whether you're like, oh, that's whatever you think it is. And if you're here this morning, you've never decided to follow Jesus. This is a cool time for you to come forward to, and we'd love to pray for you about that. So whatever you're going through, I'm going to pray after that. Once you start singing, whatever you're going through, come forward. We would love to pray for you and to be a part of you coming before Jesus and humbling yourself and saying, I need prayer. Let me pray really quickly. God, we love you, and we desperately need you. I pray that you would continue to work in our lives and just reach out to us where we are. Thank you that you meet us in our brokenness and in our pain. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that when we humble ourselves before you, you lift us up. We love you so much, God. Amen. Just come forward whenever you want.